Hi, my name is Christina Russell. Um, I was a heroin and a meth addict, and I was an IV user. I smoked it, I snorted, I did whatever I could, like however I could intake the drug, I, I did it. Um, I left behind both my children. Their dads had to keep them away from me, you know, because it wasn't a healthy environment for me or for me to be there. I turned my back for not only the drugs, but men as well. So what ended up being was abuse and um, homelessness. I lost my mind. I lost respect for my family. I went to jail over and over again, thinking that this is the life I'm gonna have and there's nobody that can touch me and this is what I deserve, you know? Um, I didn't really think that there was anything that was better that I couldn't have and like hold on to and that would want to hold on to me. I believed in God. I've had um, God in my life for a long time. Um, I just walked away from him. Like, I don't need you and I'm not gonna ask for your help. I can do this by myself. And I'm not gonna put, be put to shame by somebody that's supposedly supposed to be there. Where are you? Can I touch you? No. Can I feel you? No. Like, I was angry and I was mad and I was upset and I was irritated and I was frustrated. Um, I was in the wrong. <laughs> like, I was in the wrong. I came to Teen Challenge because my family was like, they had enough. Their hearts were hurting so bad and they didn't know what to do with me anymore. I knew that I had to change because I was gonna, I had, I finally got my kids back into my life. And if I didn't change, then I'm not gonna be able to have them. My sister told me, she asked me to get help. My mom begged me over and over again to get help. And we found Teen Challenge. I, I was dreading it at first. I was like, I don't wanna go. I always said I didn't need rehab. I can do this by myself. And well, I went and it took all of me to just be like, all right, God, I surrender to you. It's still a fight. I'm not gonna lie, it's still a fight every single day. It's still a fight to stay there. It's still a fight to keep sober. It's still a fight to do all of those things. But each and every single day I'm there, I grow more and more and more, and I'm so much stronger. And like, I learn so much. And I, I just like hold on to it. That's what you should be holding on to, like in your whole entire life, is the things that God is giving to you and God is teaching you and God's like making you see. And sometimes I do doubt, sometimes my flesh gets part of me, but but I'm like, all right, God, check me. <laughs> you know? So, and he does, he does. And that's where I stand with God. I stand firmly with God finally. I love Christina's story. I love all those stories. And I want to thank you for giving to missions because when we give to missions in our church, we support ministries like Teen Challenge. I don't know if you heard that, like, like the, all the incarceration and the drug and alcohol abuse, losing your children. And then she said something. Did you hear her say this? I lost my mind. And she was here during our missions time when we had to meet the missionaries event. And that woman who said, I lost my mind, was so articulate and bright and funny as she is in that video. I wish God was still moving in somebody's life today. It's just so sad that he's not. And that, I mean, that's just incredible what God is doing. And uh, I love to be around it. It just sets me on fire. And so, Christina, if you're watching online, like, 
Thank you, thank you. If you bless nobody else, you touched my heart, and I'm encouraged by that, so thank you so much. So, Brooke, we are uh, sharing together today. Thanks for coming and being a part of this. Yeah, thanks for letting me. I'm so excited. Oh, you're doing a great job. It's, um, it's a fun Sunday. First of all, it's Sunday, and it's officially springtime. So it's springtime, it's Sunday, and the Mariners are going to be less terrible this year, so it's a good day. And uh, Brooke's team teaching with me today, our youth pastor, and uh, Brooke's got a teaching gift, and I appreciate you so much. So what are we talking about here? Yeah, I'm excited. Today we get to talk about 1 Timothy 4.12 and talking about living a life worth following no matter what age you're at. Um, before we dive in and get into to the deep stuff, um, I think we have a, a picture. I don't know. You might think I'm young now, but I mean, I was younger before. <laughs> and uh, this is probably describes everything that we're all feeling um, the past year yeah. um, and nothing has really changed with me this is this is me at five and this is me this is me always yeah talking about when we were young I know some of you woke up this morning and you were asking this question uh, what were teenage girls looking for in the fall of 1989 well if you're wondering that question there it is right there <laughs> that's what they were looking for you don't believe me do you I don't think they do it's good to laugh at ourselves. You can take that down now, okay? <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's so good to go back. I actually had a really hard time going back and finding an old picture of me. But once you do, it really humbles you. And you think, thank you, Lord, for transformation and for glow-ups. It's so good. Yeah. Um, but we're going to dive in. I want to dive into 1 Timothy 4.12. We'll put that up on the, the screen for you. It says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Mm -hmm. I love this verse. It's funny. Actually, on Friday on, on Facebook, there's a Facebook memories that pops up. And you can see all of the embarrassing things you wrote long ago and think mm -hmm. about how cringy you were. Uh, but on Friday, it popped up on my timeline that I had wrote this verse on, on my page, 1 Timothy 4.12. As a 14-year-old girl just saying, God is amazing, it's incredible what he can do, and nothing is impossible with God. And it was just kind of timely, it was just kind of cool to look back and see, wow, look how far God has brought me. But this verse really means a lot to me because I feel like I am, I am here today because of those who believed in me. I'm here today because of those who invested in me and those who called me out, who saw the leader in me, who saw the potential in me. And even at this church coming in newly married, uh, Pastor Peter, they saw the potential in me and they said, we want to grab a hold of that. And we, we think God has a calling on your life. Even when I was like, no, I don't, I don't agree. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but there is a generation, and it's called Generation Z, uh, and I'm a part of it. It starts from 1997, and it caps at 2012. And this generation is known as the post-Christian generation. They are the generation who grew up, a lot of their parents maybe walked away from the faith, maybe were hurt at a church, and so they grow up with really minimal experience, minimal um, exposure to church. This generation, I just want to give you a, couple, a few like statistics to kind of make you realize the importance of your role in this. This generation, four, only 4% believe in like a glo have a global understanding of biblical truth. 4%. Only 24% of this generation believes that, that the truth changes as society changes. 24% believe that as society changes, so does truth. Church, that's rough. Yeah. That's rough. And this generation needs 
you, you are not irrelevant. I know sometimes we feel like the older generation to the younger generation and how we feel like maybe this younger generation doesn't need you. I'm just going to just say we desperately need you. Yeah. We desperately need your, your grandfather, your, your mother, your fatherly love. We need it. I remember, um, being in, I was a young junior. You might not believe that, but I was a young junior and everything about me was just young. And I, my, so my stepdad, he would drive me to running start and drop me off at the college because I, I didn't have my license yet. And I remember a couple of times he would drop me off at the college and I would, I was embarrassed. I didn't have my license. I was young. I didn't feel like I belonged on the college campus. So I'd shut the door and I would run and he'd honk a couple of times and like try to wave and smile and embarrass, you know, you're those parents. And I would just like turn around I wouldn't even look and I would just book it and I think in some of those times he felt like maybe he was irrelevant but the truth is he wasn't and you are not irrelevant either and uh just because maybe you're young and maybe you're old uh we are called to set an example yeah man that's good um I think that there is something so powerful about saying as I age I'm not going to complain about kids and youth today I'm going to speak into their lives today I'm going to pour into young people today. And I think that's a decision that everybody has to make in their life. As you get older, you can complain. Um, I, I'm telling you, there's people here today in your 60s and 70s, and when you were teenagers, people complained about you. You looked even weirder than I did on this screen when you were in your teenage years, right? And so we all have someone who believed in us, who poured into us. And I think that you and I have to determine that's going to be me. I'm going to pour into my kids, my grandkids, but not just them. I'm going to pour into the next generation as a whole. And if you're part of a local church, you can't possibly say, I'm not going to talk to anybody that's like under 18 or under 25. You're going to pour into people. That's what we do as followers of Jesus. So it's interesting, this scripture, because Paul and Timothy had this incredible relationship. And Paul has said to Timothy, you know what? I'm called to believe in you. I'm going to speak life into you, young man. Now, there's something about Timothy that you and I need to know. Like some of you, Timothy was a timid individual. He wasn't brash. He wasn't bold. He wasn't confident. He wasn't ready to, to, to storm into cities and say, whatever they do to me, I'm here to share the gospel like Paul. And Paul seems to have learned something. If you, if you know the Bible, Paul and Barnabas had a, had a breakup because, you know, Barnabas was like, hey, in our ministry, let's, let's grab John Mark and let's take him with us. And Paul said, no, he's immature. Paul has a high standard if you're going to, you know, be a part of his ministry. And, and they go separate ways because Paul doesn't want to slow down for this young guy. Well, evidently here with Timothy, Paul looks at him and goes, I see potential. Do you know when you look at a young person, you're never going to go, yep, they're already ready. They're never already ready. Do you know that? We know that. And Paul looks at Timothy and he sees this timid young man. But he says, I see a leader in there. I see someone that God is going to use. In fact, if you don't know this, um, some of the, the, this verse that some of you quote, God did not give us a spirit of, of, of fear or timidity. Guess where that comes from? 2 Timothy. It's a letter to the young man that Paul's taking under his wings saying, I want to bless you. I want to pour into you. You're worth it. Timothy, uh, jump in there. Um, don't be timid. Um, jump in there. Um, here's the question. Do you know what Paul is saying to young people? He's saying this, don't let your age be an excuse for your behavior. And I think if you look at the Bible as a whole, uh, here's another question. Do you know what, what the Bible says to older people? 
don't let your age be an excuse for your behavior. <laughs> oh, I'm old. I can get away with it. Well, I might try that someday too, right? But don't think that somehow you're too old for God to use you or too, you're too young for God to use you. Um, and I want to challenge you with, with this. Be a person who believes in people and believes in young people especially. I want to say it this way. Either you're young or you're um, building up the young. You're not old, right? Either you're young or you're building up young people. You know, while you're young, you may not know how to do that. But once you get a little older, you know how to pour into the next generation. So either you're young or you're building up the young. Those really are the two options. So Paul says to Timothy in this verse, he really says five things. He says, Timothy, set an example, not just for young people, but set an example for people twice your age, Timothy, in your speech, your actions, your love, in your faith, and in your purity. Set an example for all believers everywhere in these five areas. Yeah, so let's jump into number one. I want to talk about speech for a minute. See, there's really three main areas of effective speaking. speaking. Uh, number one is the words that you choose. And then it's how you say those words. So it's your tone. And then the third is how you reinforce what you said with your nonverbal communication. So that's like your posture. Mm -hmm. So it's the words you say, it's how you say it, and then it's your body language. Those things make a lot more of an impact than I think that we realize sometimes. Because sometimes we say the right thing, but we have the wrong body language. Yep. And sometimes we say the, wrong, the right thing, but we have the wrong tone. And what Paul is telling Timothy, he's saying, hey, what you need to do is you need to set an example in your speech. And these in, include these three things. So speech really comes down to what are you saying and how are you saying that? What are you saying and how are you saying that? Are you complaining? Are you gossiping? Are you swearing? And then it's, do you have a tone? Are you a little bit sassy? Do you kind of give it back a little bit to your spouse? How are you reinforcing your speech? I think this is one that we all can kind of struggle with sometimes is are you overly sarcastic? How are you saying what you are saying? Proverbs 18:21 it says the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. The tongue can bring death or life. In James chapter 3 it says we can, if we can control our tongues, we can control our lives. Think about that for a second. That's powerful. If what we say can control our lives, we need to have a filter on what we are saying and the things that we're saying. You know the, the quote, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. I think a lot of us could actually learn from that and use that sometimes because a lot of times we want to fight back. We want to be right. We want to have the right thing to say. But sometimes it's just wisdom to sit there and not say anything. You can know that you're right and you can, you can sit there just knowing, but you don't need to say anything. Sometimes it's better not to say anything. There is so much power in our words. I mean, date it back to when creation happened. We see that God spoke and the earth formed. Mm -hmm. God spoke and, and light appeared. God spoke and the oceans formed. God spoke and he spoke life into existence. And we are made in the image of God. So here's the thing. We either spend our time speaking life forth or we spend our time speaking death out. And I don't know about you, but I want to be known as somebody who speaks life out. Mm -hmm. 
Even when everything around me is death, even when everything around me is dark, I want to be the one who is speaking life out despite whether or not I can see it. Despite whether or not I, I truly believe it, I want to speak it even before I can see it. So in, in our situations, in our families, in our workplace, even when nobody is around you, your words matter. Mm -hmm. So are you speaking life or are you speaking death? Mm -hmm. If you want the atmosphere to change around you, you have to speak life out. That's so true. I think I, so probably all of us have been in a room where like there's five people and they're all kind of negative and grumbling. And then one person walks in and they just bring light in and the whole atmosphere of the room changes. Have you been in a room like that? Has the person been you? No, I was one of the five grumblers, right? <laughs> uh, you can change the atmosphere with your speech. Um, some of you, I think, you know, we think, oh, I got to rein in my tongue, right? But others of you, you just need to speak up. You're like Timothy. You're just like, I don't really have anything to add to this conversation. Or maybe culturally, you don't have the language as well as you think you should. Or you're too young. Or you don't, you're not knowledgeable. Like, some of us just need to speak up um, and do so. In fact, here's what's sad. Sometimes the loudest, brashest people dominate the conversation. And there's wise, wonderful things to be said in an individual who's not talking. And I've led so many meetings where I'm like, I've heard from this person like five times. I'd like to hear from you. So if you're like Timothy, uh, you need to know this. Other people want to know what's inside your head. Speak up, all right? So set an example in your speech. I had a job one time. Um, I always laugh about this. I had summer jobs where I worked construction. If you have a construction business, do not hire me ever, ever, ever. Even if I lose my job as a pastor, don't be nice to me, okay? And, um, and so I never stuck out because I was good at those jobs. But I remember sticking out at this job, and this guy came up to me, and uh, he was, you know, nowhere near a Jesus person. He walked up to me, and he called me Pete. And sometimes I'd, I'd go by Pete sometimes in sports and jobs. And he walks up, and he goes, Pete, are you one of those born-again Christians? And I was like, where did you hear that term? Because I have not heard you talk like that ever in my life, right? And I, I think what happened is in this particular workplace, um, if you didn't cuss, and, and if you didn't uh, talk down about the boss, and if you didn't talk about other people when they weren't around, you stuck out. What's wrong with you? We all grumble about the boss. We all cuss all the time. There's something weird about you. There's something different about you. Remember, Jesus called the church like you're the called out ones. You're different, and people should taste that. You're the salt of the earth. People should see that you're the light of the world, right? Only three years that I've really been serving Jesus at this point, but he said there's something different about you. You don't cuss. You don't grumble. Um, listen, words create culture, and some of you uh, in your home, in your workplace, there's a culture. If you like it, keep it up. If you don't like it, change it. Um, words create culture. Sometimes people use really long, very intelligent-sounding words. That creates a culture, right? Academia. Um, sometimes people use a lot of F-bombs in their job. That creates a culture. Um, criticism creates a culture in your workplace. Uh, here at our church, I want to create a culture of affirmation. Around here, we build each other up. Uh, you don't have to worry about when I walk in the, the room next door if I'm like, what an idiot. No one's talking about you bad. We build each other up. It's a culture of affirmation. Let me just ask this question. How long would it take someone, um, uh, when, they, when they're been in your presence, how long with just talking to you would it take them to realize that you follow Jesus? How many minutes? How many hours? How many weeks? How many years? Does your speech give you a way that you're different 
because you follow Jesus. The second one is this. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, um, you need to set example in your actions. Every interaction, every situation, um, every person, set an example. Actions speak louder than words, we like to say in our society. Um, I want to say this, I just as I was praying about this, I think God says sometimes you need to pull the trigger, right? Um, no one ever shot anything by saying, ready, aim, aim, keep aiming, right? At some point, you have to pull the trigger on a decision in your life. Uh, just aiming doesn't accomplish anything. It's ready, aim, fire. And, and sometimes we get this, well, I've been thinking about that I might start praying about, that I might possibly start looking for another job. Friend, you're not getting anywhere, right? You have to actually do something. Your actions, you have to act. Um, sometimes we get this mentality, well, someday I'm going to fast. I'm going to fast and pray for, for, for my life or my world or my friend. Someday I'm going to start tithing. Someday I'm going to join a life group that they talk about all the time. Someday I'm going to work with young people. Sometimes, someday I'm going to go on that mission trip. Someday I'm going to get that old car up and running. Just waiting. Somebody here needs that conviction, right? All right. Someday I'm going to get that exercise plan going. Someday I'm going to clean out the garage. Someday I'm going to get my affairs in order. Someday I'm going to tell that person that I love them. Someday I'm actually going to let Jesus come in and heal me and forgive me. Friends, what if today is your someday? I mean, really, what are, we, what are we waiting for? Why not today? Why put it off till tomorrow? What, what are we waiting for? What is stopping you from doing these things that we all agree are so important? Proverbs says, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is within your power to act. Um, Jesus said it like this, um, do not stay four more months and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest now. Like there's no time like the present, like now. Um, man, David said it so clearly. Let me just read David's uh, Psalm 39 verses 4 and 5. This is where I'm reading this from. David says, show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. And let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Life is short. Let's don't uh, waste it not acting on what God has called and created us to do. Paul's saying, Timothy, listen, a lot of people are good talkers, Timothy. Don't be timid. Don't just talk a good game. Show that you serve God with your actions. I love that because I feel like, so our, sorry, I'm going to talk about Generation Z a lot because this is important, but Generation Z really hops on the bandwagon really fast. Generation Z likes to move really fast, and they like to, I don't know if you've noticed, but they like to speak out about injustices really fast. They like to go about their rights really fast, but to, to speak to, to the younger side of this, I want to encourage you to act in wisdom. Act after the heart of God. It can be easy to jump to action when the world is jumping to action, but I want to encourage you, seek your father before you just jump to action with the world. There's a, there's a big difference between what the world is calling to action and what, what God is calling you to do in action. Mm -hmm. And so seek his heart before just jumping mm -hmm. to action. Yeah, it's good. Awesome. Uh, number three is this. Paul says, Timothy, set an example in your love. Uh, let me just re remind you when Jesus said, they will know that you are my people um, by the way you drive, right? <laughs> they'll, they'll know you're my people by, the, by what you eat. 
No, they'll know you're my people by how you vote. No, they will know that you are my people by the way you love each other, right? That's what it really says. What's what Jesus said? Um, Listen, without love, Paul says you're just a, a clanging cymbal or a gong. Like you kick up a lot of dust, but you're not really accomplishing much. Do you realize that when you love someone, what that accomplishes? Deep down inside every human, there's this desire to be loved. There's a need to know that someone cares about you. Loving someone has a lasting effect. It creates a sense of worth inside of someone. When you sacrifice your time, your attention, um, and you bless someone, if you feel uh, loved, it seems like somehow it's going to be okay. You can go through the worst circumstances. You can be having a surgery this week, and there's people in this church that are going through battles with cancer. And you know what? They feel loved in the midst of that because they know someone cares. They know someone's praying for them. Making someone feel loved is a big deal. It it brings a sense of peace to our souls. To know even in this crazy life, someone deeply, honestly cares about me. Um, Here's the reality. If you don't feel loved uh, in your life, um, and sometimes maybe that's all of us, there's times in your life where you don't feel really loved, it can bring fear into your life. Am I valuable? Do I have any worth? Am I truly loved by someone? Jesus answered the question when he ran towards you on the cross. And he said, regardless if any other human being ever loves you, Jesus says, I'm going to race towards you and I'm going to love you and I'm going to lay down my life and I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to heal you. And you're going to be whole regardless of whether you have a spouse or a best friend or someone who loves you because I love you. And I love that I don't have to, to, to wonder if I'm loved, and, and I don't have to wonder if I'm whole because someone cares for me, uh, because Jesus cares for me, I'm whole already. But let me caution you with this, and I think Paul's saying to Timothy, love people, listen, convince others that you truly care. I love the story of the guy who said to his wife, well, I told you that I loved you on the day we got married, if anything changes, I'll let you know. Because I think deep down inside of every human being, we want to know, we want to feel that someone else really cares for us. And my encouragement to you as the body of Christ is convince someone, make someone feel loved by you in your life. Whoever that young person, that friend is, that stranger is, make people feel loved. When you're speaking, it made me think of the verse that says that perfect love casts out all fear. And as we're talking about living a life worth following and walking and and leading and living a life of an example, when you're younger, it can be so scary. Um, It can be so intimidating. Uh, But I want to encourage you when you are walking with the Father, and as Pastor Peter mentioned, when you are, when you're in step with him and you remember how much he loves you, uh, that fear has no place. It, It has no place because before anything, your identity is a child. Before you're in a position, before you're uh, the at your work, before you're a spouse, you're a child of God. And from that, uh, there is no, there's no place for fear. Yeah, that's good. Number four, I think you got it. Yeah, so going into to faith, Hebrews 11, one through three says that faith is the reality of what is hoped for and the proof of what is not seen. So faith is what we believe in, but we can't see. 
It's having confidence in the things that we can't see, knowing that they're as real as you are staring at me as I'm looking at you and, and we, we know, we see each other, we know that it's real. But faith can be really hard sometimes, especially leading a life of, of faith and leading in an example of faith. I think one of the, the greatest things that, the greatest ways that we are tested and to be an example in our faith is through trial. It's through heartache. It's through when everything in our life doesn't go right. Mm-hmm. Because there's, there's two responses to this. Two people can walk through the same exact trial, but come out completely different. One person allows God to use them through that. One person allows God to, they rely on God. They trust in God. They say, God, I can't see what you're doing. I don't even understand what you're doing. Nothing that you're doing makes sense but I trust you, but I will not fall away from you, but I will continue to walk and to chase after you. But the other person could walk through the same exact thing and say, you know what, God isn't with me, I don't feel him near, and so I don't need to continue walking, I don't wanna continue walking. There's a a quote, and I'm really gonna kill it, but it just came (laughs) to my mind, that God's presence is not necessarily when we just feel his presence, that God's presence is, is with us even when we can't feel it. And a lot of times we correlate faith with when we can feel God, when he's here, when we're getting the goosebumps, when we feel emotional. But then we go out there and it feels dry. It feels hard. But I would encourage you, no matter what you're walking through, no matter what situation you will go through, because we live in a broken world. Let's just be real. We're all going to walk through something extremely hard. But it's how we choose to respond to that when we say, God, I want to be a canvas of your grace. I want to be a parable of you. And when people look at me, I want them to see nothing of myself, but I want them to see you, Jesus. That's good. I think we can so easily choose um, to live by our feelings instead of living by faith. Um, this last, maybe about a year and a half, there's been a phrase that you know, I write down in my journal. This is what God's saying to me. And one of them is just this three... Uh, three words, and someone had handed me a, a piece of paper, and it was a word from the Lord, and I felt like it was so good, and it said these three words, do not fret, and it was for a particular gathering, but it was also for me, and I've prayed that through, and you know, when you are a person of faith, there is these like, oh, today I'm feeling full of faith, and then the next day it's like, I'm not feeling a lot of faith, you know, my back is killing me, and I'm frustrated with this or that, and you kind of go back and forth, and and. I just want to encourage you every day, get up and choose faith and do not fret because fret leads to worry and anxiety. And here's the biggest problem. When worries and anxieties and concerns fill my mind, there isn't as much room in my mind for faith, for the Lord. It's not that I stop being a person of faith. It's just that it takes up so much time and so much thinking and so much brain power that I'm spending less time in my faith and more time in my concerns. And so... um, as we live in faith, let's make sure that we do not fret, but we choose faith every day. So good. Going into number five, this is what I'm very passionate about. It's, Paul says to Timothy, hey, set an example in your purity. Which is easy when you're young. So, so yeah. easy yeah. when you're young. It stops when you're married. Like You don't have to worry about it anymore. But he says, set an example in your purity. And I always get passionate about this because purity doesn't end at sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. That's not God's heart for purity. 
Matthew 5, verse 8, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If it wasn't possible to live with a pure heart, God wouldn't call us to it. He wouldn't ask that of us. But it's possible to live with a pure heart. There is a battle like none other going on to win the war, win the hearts over of, of this upcoming generation. I don't know if you've noticed, but there is a battle going on. Far greater than any of us can really comprehend. There's a battle for teenagers to understand that, that they can pick what sexuality they want, that they get to decide what truth they want to live by that they get to be the authors of their lives, that they get to choose what's right and what's wrong in their life. And they are literally telling us that they feel like they have the ability to rewrite morality and rewrite what is truth. Mm-hmm. There's a, a saying, it's teach the truth. Mm-hmm. But the truth that the world is saying to teach is not the truth. Mm-hmm. It is so far from the truth. Mm-hmm. So as a result, we have this lost generation with confused identities. They don't know who they are. They think that living a double lifestyle is okay, and they don't understand that they are actually called to a higher standard. Because I think often when we think about purity, we think it's limiting. We think that it's binding. But the reality is that when we live in purity that God has designed for us, we actually live in freedom. We actually live in the, the life that he first wanted us to live in, but we fell from, from our own mistakes and our own doing. So how do, we, how do we set an example of purity? This is a really long, hard conversation, but I believe that there's a couple of questions that can get us to this point. And I want to encourage you, as I ask these questions, I want you to reflect, uh, do whatever you need to do. You can write them down as I go through them. But ask yourself, does my life look different from the world? Does my life look different from the world? If somebody was to look at you to see not only the outside, because we can make the outside look really good, church. We can look really good. But if they could look inside of you, would they want the Jesus that you have? Would they see purity? Would they see wholeness? It's a scary question. Question number two, do my actions reflect Christ? Does what I do reflect, reflect Christ? Is what I watch, listen to, talk about, think about, wear, drink, etc., etc., is all of that honoring of the Lord? Amen. And then the last question, does this lead me closer to Jesus? And that's a tough question because there's a lot of things in this world that don't lead us closer to Jesus. But if we want to be pure in heart, if we want to see God, I believe that these are some of the questions that we have to ask ourselves. You see, purity requires obedience. And this is where it gets tough because obedience often requires sacrifice. But we don't want to sacrifice. I'd encourage you to say, Lord, what do you need to refine in me? What do you need to get rid of in me? And what impurities are keeping me from growing in you? It's so good. I think there's absolute truth in the world. Do you believe that? I think it's so interesting when I talk with someone, I walk in the room like, well, what's your truth? What's your truth? What's your truth? I go, I think there is a truth. They're like, that makes you weird. What are you, a dinosaur? Yeah, it's okay if you think that. I mean, really, I think the older generation has to be, it's okay that you think that. 
And I think a lot of the younger generation who's like living in their public school goes, I think that there's one truth. I think there really is a living God. I think there's a heaven and a hell and a creation really happened. And people look at them and go, are you crazy? And like, well, that's my truth, isn't it? But I think it's the truth. And I'm going to be like, I don't know how many years I got. I may have 40 years more on this planet still left, but I'm going to go all the way through the next four decades or more saying, I believe in absolute truth. And they may really think I'm crazy by the time I'm in my 80s. And I probably will be. I don't know. Who knows? Listen, don't settle for less. Um, and when it comes to purity, decide ahead of time what your standard is. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, we, we kind of settle for something. Somebody's made this amazing, like, five-course meal, and it's beautiful, and it's awesome. And they invite you to your house, and you go, you know what? I brought a, bo- a box of Twinkies from the 80s with me. I'm just going to have that instead. Like, why would you settle for, for so much less? Why would you settle for the world's impurities? When you could have better, when you can have what God has for you. That's what striving for purity is. So this morning I, I was reading a journal from 12 years ago. I thought this was really ironic, so I'm going to say it here. And I'm reading in this journal, and it says, uh, hey, last night I was watching this film, I was watching this movie, and I could kind of tell, ah, this is probably going to have a lot of inappropriate stuff in it, but I was still watching it. Anybody ever been there? No, because you're all perfect and holy. And so I was watching this going, I don't know if I should be watching this or not. And then this song from one of my favorite Christian bands begins to play in the movie. And I wrote about it in my journal the next day. And what I thought that night before was, you know, this band probably should have a better standard than let their song be played in this film. <laughs> While I was watching the movie, right? And in my journal I said, how hypocritical of me. I want to make sure that my mind is as pure as possible so that I can live for God a victorious life. I don't want to lose day after day after day. Man, um, the Apostle Paul was so good when he said, listen, don't let a hint of immorality. If you give a mouse a cookie, right? If you give the devil an inch, he'll take a mile of your life. And so um, guard your purity. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. So let's look back at these five things. Paul says to Timothy, listen, uh, set an example in the way that you talk, in your speech. Set an example in your actions. Set an example in how you make people feel loved in your life, how, how you love others in your faith and in your purity. And I want to ask for a moment that you would just look at those five things and say, okay, Lord, where do I need to do a better job of setting an example? If an unbeliever is looking at me, if a young person is looking at me, if my family is looking at me, if strangers are looking at me, am I doing a good job as setting an example of what a person who's encountered Christ should really be. And maybe there's an area that you're like, you know what, I, I need to work on that. I need to take some time and, and let the Lord kind of refine me in that area. Can I tell you something? Uh, this morning during worship, I rededicated my life to the Lord. And I do this more often than probably someone should. But I think it's so great to say, Lord, today I rededicate myself to knowing and serving you. And I may rededicate my Lord again, my Lord, <laughs> I may rededicate my life to the Lord again in a couple months, and that's okay. Because I love calling a time out and just saying, I want to start fresh again in you. And this is a great day um, to stop and rededicate yourself to really living for the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? I'm going to ask you to just do some thinking, and maybe today is a day for you just to stop and say, Lord, I want to rededicate myself. I want to be dedicated in my life to serving you, to knowing you. 
and I want to repurpose. I want a new start. I want to be a person, Lord, that you could use as an example for others. Man, Lord, we talked about this next generation, and they, they need to see somebody who actually believes in truth, in absolute truth. Lord, let us be that. Lord, let the young people here today be people who live in truth, not relativism. And Lord, we pray today that we would be people who choose to live in purity. Lord, the scripture says, how can a young man keep himself pure? It is a battle, but it's not just a battle for the young. It's a battle for all of us. And so, Lord, for those of us who are here today saying, Lord, purify my mind. I live in a toxic culture. I want to start over in purity. Lord, some of us are here today and we need to set an example in our speech. We've allowed ourselves to talk about others. We've allowed ourselves to grumble. Unwholesome talk to come out of our mouths. Or maybe we just haven't been that person who walks in the room and just brightens the whole room. Lord, we create a culture with our words and so we want to create a culture in our homes and our workplaces and everywhere we go that honors you. Lord, let our actions speak louder than words. Lord, help us to pull the trigger and actually do what we say we're going to do. Lord, perhaps some of us are saying someday I'll, I'll actually give like the Bible says and someday I'll actually join that church or that group or someday I'll actually get to that project and Lord it's so easy to say someday Lord help us to be men and women of action today Lord help us to love people and to convince someone that they are loved and when we leave their presence that there's something inside of them that feels like their self-worth went up even if we live with this person or even if we don't even know this person Lord, let there be a, a trail of love everywhere we go. Lord, help us not to live in worry or concern or in fear, but help us to live in faith. Listen, church, do not fret where the world is going. God is bigger. Serve the Lord. Honor God. Go to sleep. God's in charge while you're resting. Jesus, lastly, we just want to stop and pray for those that, like Timothy, are somewhat timid. They haven't jumped in with both feet. Their voice isn't heard. Their influence is not what it could and should be for whatever reason. Maybe it's because of a time of transition. Maybe it's a, a personality. Maybe it's the pandemic. But Lord, today you are calling us to, to live loud, to speak up, to influence others, to make a difference, to serve. And when we go to bed at night to know that we impacted the world because we got outside of ourselves, outside of our homes, outside of our lives, and we touched someone else's life. Lord, you did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power, 
Lord, you gave us that sound mind, that self-discipline. And so, Lord, we pray that we'd be people who live up to the calling that you created us to live. Lord, today, whatever one of those things is for us, whichever one of those five, help us to truly live it. And for those who are alive today, I just want to just take a moment. If God has spoken to you about one of these five things, or maybe you just feel like the Lord gave you a word or a phrase from this message, you just lift your hand and just show it to God. God, I know you're talking to me today. Go ahead, nice and high. Lord, I know you're talking to me. And just name what that is that he's saying or speaking or challenging you. Thank you. And if you're here today and you're rededicating your life to the Lord, would you tell someone? You can tell me after the gathering. You can email me. Tell someone I'm starting fresh in my life, in my faith with Jesus. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this new start. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Isn't this a great day? This really is a great day. Well, would you do this? Would you set an example by the way you live, by the way you treat people, by the way you hold the door open or tell someone that their hair looks nice today? All right. Have an incredible week in the Lord.